Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to be talking about postpartum depression. As many as one in five moms will become depressed after having a baby. That's a huge number that unfortunately seems to be on the rise. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Kathleen Kendall Tackett about why postpartum depression happens, what it looks like, and what can be done about it. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. I want to thank you once again for all the love you're giving the show and send a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, even if that's not the way you usually listen to it, so we can get it in front of more and more and more mamas. If you want to go the extra mile, leave a review. I will be forever grateful. All right. So today I'm so happy to have Dr. Kathleen Kendall Tackett to talk about postpartum depression on the show. Kathy is a health psychologist and international board certified lactation consultant and the owner and editor in chief of Preclaris Press, which is a small press specializing in women's health. She also specializes in women's health research, including breastfeeding, depression, trauma, and health psychology. And her research interests include the psychoneuroimmunology of maternal depression and the lifetime health effects of trauma. She is fellow of the American Psychological Association in Health and Trauma Psychology and past president of the APA Division of Trauma Psychology. Kathy writes and publishes a lot. Listen to this. She's authored more than 370 articles or chapters and is the author and or editor of 24 books on maternal depression, family violence, and breastfeeding. Her most recent books include Psychology of Trauma 101 and The Science of Mother-Infant Sleep. She has four different websites, one of which is uppityciencechick.com. Kathy, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And I'm going to start off with a tangent just because I love the name so much. And I'm sure you get this a lot, but why Uppity Science Chick? Well, it actually started um, because I had some male colleagues who were basically saying, you know, sort of girls can't do science. Mm. You know, which is, of course, just rubbish. But the more I kind of thought about it, I started kind of playing with some, you know, combinations of words. And that's how I came up with Uppity Science Chick. And so launched a podcast, or not a podcast, launched a um, Twitter handle and a Facebook page and also the website. Uh, and so it's a place where I like to bring the research behind a lot of the things I talk about. Because again, a lot of times I'm introducing concepts and I want to say, look, don't just take my word for it. Here's a bunch of articles. Take a look and see for yourself. Yeah, fantastic. And and I don't know how long you've been doing that for, but it kind of the rest of the world is joining you more now with the, all the in- emphasis on STEM for girls and, and having girls and, and women really be more involved or, or standing out in the sciences. Absolutely. And, you know, it's something I totally support. Mm-hmm. I love it. My And I have a daughter, so it's dear to my heart and she loves the science too. <laughs> yeah, so, it's great. Postpartum depression, why are we seeing so much of it? 
I think there's probably a number of reasons. Um, you know, probably the biggest one is we just are not supporting mothers very well. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, I know there's a difference between Canada and the U.S. on this. But, you know, with in the U.S., a lot of our moms are going back to work at just insanely early times. You know, and there's just, you know, you got a mom who's going back to work in some cases at like, say, three weeks postpartum. It's just horrible. You know, it's like, what are we doing to our poor moms? You know, so that's that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, I think once they get out of the hospital, well, first of all, once they are in the hospital, you know, having their babies, you know, which is, you know, still the majority, you know, um, we've got a growing number of people having babies at home, but it's still not, it's a, it's a fairly small percentage. Yeah, I think um, it's like, it made it to 1% in yeah, the last exactly. census. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's like I said, it's growing, but it's like, you know, when you compare it to the rest. But, you know, we just did a paper or just uh, had a paper accepted for publication where we looked at all the um, birth interventions and their relationships to postpartum depression. Hmm. And every single one of them was related to increased rates. You know, you know, we looked at induction and we looked at epidural. We looked at, um, you know, how many hours she was in labor. That was actually kind of interesting. It's shorter labors were actually more associated. But we looked at all these different, you know, sort of things that happened during labor and all of them were related. So then we put them all together and epidurals actually were still strongly related to depression. And so that one by itself could explain some things. You know, and again, like I said, as I'm sure you know, epidurals a lot of times lead to a cascade of other interventions. Right. Yeah. And, you know, postpartum complications, you know, then what happens in the community, you know, when women, you know, go home, you know, and oftentimes, you know, I was just listening to a speaker the other day and she was saying, oh, yeah, first thing she did after she had her C-section when she got home was throw a load of, of laundry in the wash. And it's like. That's just, you know, our moms think that they need to do that, mm-hmm. you know, versus like if they lived in other parts of the world, you know, they would not be doing that kind of work. They would not be expected to just step back into their life. You know, so I think, you know, you know, birth plays a part. I think what happens postpartum plays a part, you know, and unfortunately, we, we still got a lot of mothers experiencing breastfeeding difficulties that can also trigger it. You know, and then on top of it, you know, we're very short on like things like omega-3 fatty acids in our diet. And so that's another kind of piece that kind of makes us more at risk. So, you know, there's just a lot of different reasons. You know, and one I didn't actually mention, but really probably should, is also trauma history. You know, I'm seeing a very disturbing upswing in the number of young women that have been sexually assaulted by peers. You know, and that's that's another factor, unfortunately. You know, so again, like I said, we've got a lot of things going on in our culture. It's not, I don't think it's just a matter of we're seeing it more, you know, we're just observing it more. I think it's actually, it is increasing. Okay, right. So you're saying that it, it, not only are we observing it more, but the numbers are going up regardless. I I, I believe so. Yeah. Because, you know, we used to say, you know, 10 to 20%. You know, and when I wrote the last edition of Depression in New Mothers, you know, really when I looked across studies, it was closer to, I would say, 15 to 25 percent. And in some kind of higher risk populations, it could be as much as half. You know, so those are, you know, those are concerning numbers. Very and, concerning. And again, like I said, you know, I, I was really shocked when we looked at some of our birth data, uh, but that paper will be out in September. Uh, but these numbers were just, you know, and we have a big sample. We have 6,410 moms in our study. So that gives us a chance to really look at a lot of different factors. That's really, the, I can't wait to look at that paper because that is a, a big number of, of the people that you studied. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I'm seeing also in the research is that postpartum depression is not only affecting moms, but dads as well. Absolutely. Which you know, we don't even think about that often. 
Well, and you know, going back to the issue of birth, you know, it's like oftentimes if, if a mama, if a mom has had a traumatic birth, um, you know, oftentimes her partner is traumatized too. You know, that can be one of the criteria is witnessing something, you know, and it doesn't even have to be, you know, objectively a life-threatening event, you know, although unfortunately those occur too, mm-hmm. um, you know, just something where it was just frightening, you know, or they're, you know, the mom or a partner believed, you know, that they were, um, that, you know, that the mom or the baby were in danger, you know, that actually can cause it, that can, that can trigger it right there. You know, um, also too, just, you know, again, lack of support and, you know, oftentimes that sort of disconnect, you know, that, okay, you have a baby and then you just step right back into your normal life, even though your whole life has been turned on its ear. Right. And and more than your life, even your identity, because you're not longer, I always like to say you're no longer that I, you're forever a we, like yeah, the concept absolutely. of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, we had on the show a few episodes back, we had Jody Hall talking about birth trauma and she oh, did, yep. brought that up exactly that the, the perceived um, experience during birth can create trauma that then is puts you at a higher risk for depression. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting because um, we've got a book coming out pretty soon. Another factor that was kind of interesting is um, Kim Thompson's got a book coming out. Um, She was actually, uh, I was on her graduate committee, you know, when she got her PhD. And one of the things she looked at is not only sort of unrealistic expectations, like you think you have to be perfect, but also she looked at what's called self-silencing, that you you never sort of share what's really going on in your head, you know, Mm -hmm. and and those kinds of things, again, not ever, you know, sort of, being authentic or feeling like you can be because you have to kind of maintain this sort of facade is highly related to depression too. And I actually think, you know, it's like I I was, when I was reading her dissertation, I was just fascinated because I thought, whoa, this is going to, this is going to describe a lot of women. Um, And so, you know, again, like I said, there's just so many factors that kind of tie into it. That's really interesting because we do think, I mean, we know that having a mom support group and just getting out there and being with other moms can make a huge difference in in how you feel about yourself because we get isolated and feel that this is only happening to us and right. it becomes that microsphere um if on top of that yeah you're self-silencing and putting up a facade of no everything's fine oh yeah baby's sleeping then right it's a huge disservice Right. And, you know, I think sometimes, too, you know, you mentioned like support groups. I mean, support groups can be an absolute godsend to so many moms, but they can also sometimes, you know, depending on the group, be not supportive. You know, and again, like I said, if if they start getting competitive, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so those kinds of groups actually probably are not as helpful. Um, I know somebody who actually runs some very successful support groups in the Pittsburgh area. And, you know, one of the things that she just really lays down a lot of ground rules is, the, you know, you don't sit there and criticize other mothers. Oh, I would never let my baby da 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 da. You know, and so, you know, I think actually it is quite possible. I think, you know, when they work well, they're just a lifesaver, you know. But again, like I said, sometimes, you know, again, I, this is one thing I always tell moms is, you know, find a group you're comfortable with. Yeah. You know, as if you're going to seek out support and, you know, sometimes it could just be just having another mom to talk to, not even a whole group, just, you know, one or two people that you can just really share what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Then I find if you can have a sort of a pregnancy mentor, somebody who's just a little bit ahead of you, mm. then you can 
kind of see it's it's back to that sort of knowledge that we've lost of seeing other moms and breastfeeding and just being more in tune with it just having somebody a little bit ahead of you that you can still relate but has Mm -hmm. gone through it um i know that for me personally it was really helpful Oh yeah, no, that can that could just be incredibly helpful. And you know, I think one of the things we shouldn't rule out too is you know all the you know the pl- online places mm-hmm. you know that moms can get support. You know, that was actually kind of one thing that I learned from you know working with Lara Adello, who does a lot of our social media and stuff. Is that you know it would have never have occurred to me that moms would be getting support on Twitter, right? And yet they do. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, they, there are all kinds of great information, you know, like this podcast that moms can listen to. And, you know, just even sometimes knowing that other mothers have experienced what you're experiencing, you know, can kind of break that silence. And I think that that's really important. Exactly. Do you have a, a off the top of your head, a few favorite online support places? Well, I think Postpartum Support International is actually a really good kind of resource. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not, th- I'm not sure about, uh, s- sources that, uh, you know, of online support, but that's actually a great question. I think I need to look into that. Um, but, um, what I do actually have is if you go up on either breastfeeding made simple or Apti science chick, I've got some links for some different websites, mm-hmm. uh, that I think actually could be a good place to start. And I, that, that's where I'd probably start moms and then they can kind of branch out from there. Mm-hmm. Good. I will. I will take a look and and follow that through. So, with yeah. the postpartum depression, what are some common risk factors or causes aside from the ones we mentioned before? Well, um, you know, I think again, like I said, one that I think doesn't get acknowledged very much, but really should, is trauma is huge. Um, and we're just finding so many of our moms have trauma histories. You know, when I first started lecturing on this years and years and years ago, you know, it really was considered kind of a fringe issue. Um, and it isn't anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just actually working on a presentation and, you know, we find actually when we look at, you know, not just things like child sexual abuse, but kind of across the spectrum of, you know, adversities in childhood, you know, it can be as many as 40 or 50%. You know, and in one study, they looked at like, you know, women experiencing traumatic events. 93% of them said they'd experienced at least one. You know, that's just kind of an astounding number. That's everybody, almost. Yeah, it pretty much is. And, you know, and again, like I said, that kind of says, okay, well, first of all, a lot of people experience trauma. Not everybody gets PTSD. But, you know, those kinds of experiences create a vulnerability for depression. Um, You know, one of the things that I've talked about a lot in my writing is, you know, one of the physiological factors that's really related to depression is inflammation. Uh, And so, again, thinking about kind of what kinds of things can turn off that stress response, that inflammatory response, you know, and we know that there's certain things that do. Uh, Breastfeeding does, you know, especially exclusive breastfeeding. Um, Omega-3 fatty acids, exercise, all of those things. We're starting to get some really great data on what's called uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. You know, so it takes cognitive therapy, which has been, you know, a real kind of staple of depression treatment and combines mindfulness, which is kind of a a meditation technique Mm -hmm. and finding it's actually kind of rewiring the brain. You know, in eight weeks time, they can actually see changes in the brain, you know, that are making people less depressed. And, you know, so there's just some incredible work going on right now. Uh, But, um, you know, so thinking about, you know, sort of what are some of the other risk factors? I mentioned social isolation is huge. Um, being very sleep deprived is huge, you know, and that's Which one of the- is, yeah, when yeah. you have a newborn. Uh. Right. Well, and, you know, we're finding too, it makes a big difference, you know, first of all, how you're feeding the baby. You know, we're finding 
really pretty strong evidence from several studies, not just ours, that exclusive breastfeeding, uh, actually those moms get more sleep. But it also makes a difference where that baby's sleeping. You know, the group that got the most sleep were the mothers who were exclusively breastfeeding and bed sharing. You know, and again, common sense in some ways kind of tells you that. You know, so that's one of the reasons why it's important to talk to moms about, you know, safe sleep. And, you know, this one study that came out, um, I think last year, it was, <laughs> I don't know where they got their data, but they were saying like 10% of mothers were bed sharing. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, and the other 90% are lying about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's just really common. But the other thing that was kind of interesting that we found in our data is that um, the formula feeding bed sharing moms got the least amount of sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, which I thought was actually really interesting, you know, because, again, it's a very physiologically different experience. You know, so what you need to kind of do is think about, you know, with, when you especially when you've got a really tired mom, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to kind of help you feel less fatigued? You know, I, I would never, ever want to tell, you know, you sometimes get these moms that are just right on the edge, mm-hmm. you know, and I think most of us have been there at some point, you know, feeling like, you're, you know, you're going to die if you don't get some sleep. Yeah. You know, for those moms, I think we need to kind of do some emergency strategies, you know, but you know, thinking about, okay, well, what can we do to help you get more rest during the day? You know, can we bring in some people who maybe can, you know, give you an hour's break so you can go lay down? Um, You know, can you sort of delay when you return to work so you're not so dang tired all the time? You know, so at least you've gotten into some kind of rhythm with the baby. Um, You know, I think going back to to work at six weeks is just barbaric. I really do. Well, we start Um, falling it's again falling into that super mom trap Absolutely. that you're supposed to do it all. And it's a trap that's letting us all down. Absolutely. You know, and I think it goes back to what Kim Thompson was talking about in her book about how, you know, you're trying to be perfect. And, you know, so, you know, something I was reading about, you know, uh, different countries that do have paid maternity leave is a lot of moms don't take it because they're thinking, again, it's that super mom thing. Mm-hmm. You know, feeling like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, just step back into my life and I'm not even going to, you know, you know, acknowledge that I've had this gigantic change happen. And I think that that's kind of a setup. And I think also, too, that makes you more tired. Uh, you know, there's no sort of getting around that. You know, so again, like I said, I think that there's just a number of kind of cultural factors that we have that really kind of put moms at high risk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so you've got the factors that might be during pregnancy. Yeah. You've got the factors that might be previously, you know, before being pregnant in their life. Like it could be, like you said, trauma. Mm. Is um, also, if I'm not mistaken, just a previous uh, incidence of depression. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And- Any- because, you know, what you got to remember with, you know, anytime you've had any kind of, you know, prior sort of episode, whether it's PTSD or it's anxiety or depression, it creates a vulnerability. So then when you're faced with another life stressor, you know, you have a vulnerability to becoming depressed again. You know, now what's kind of exciting about some of the newer treatments is that seems to be somewhat reversible. You know, and again, it's an understanding of that vulnerability and how can you kind of take steps to counter it. So, yes, absolutely. You know, prior history of depression is important. You know, um, you know, and just even some of the, you know, we finding, you know, socioeconomic status is it makes a difference. You're more likely to get depressed if you're lower income. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I said, part of that is exposure to more adversity. Um, and part of it's just kind of general stress. You know, we sometimes don't acknowledge the role of stress in depression, but it's a really important precursor. You know, and so again, like I said, it always drives me nuts when people say, well, she's not depressed. She's just stressed. 
It's like, come on, seriously? Right. You know, stress can kill an animal. You know, anybody who's tried to bring a goldfish home from, the, you know, from the pet store knows that. <laughs> uh, you know, so why why are we minimizing it? You know, we got our moms who are just, you know, so stressed out these days that that's another kind of prior vulnerability. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's every step of the way you see things that you have to be diligent and, and, and pay attention to. Absolutely. Um, because like, like you were saying before, the birth experience also affects the, what Absolutely. happens during pregnancy and the support or, or the, how the situation is set up afterwards. And that's where I find in a lot of places you have the cultural part, which you mentioned, but also mm -hmm. the governments and, and our, our structures are letting us down. Yeah, which you also mentioned with the I mean, in the US, it's horrible. You get no paid maternity leave or right. family paid leave. Um, so, OK, how can moms how does postpartum depression manifest? How are they feeling? How can they know if this is what they're going through? Well, there's kind of a couple of really key symptoms. You know, one, of course, is feelings of sadness. You know, and, and especially if it's lasting, you know, it's like everybody kind of has an off day where you just kind of just cry, you know, because it's just, mm -hmm. it is overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, I think too, you know, right after we have a baby, we're in that sort of right brain state and it's very hard from that state to picture that this isn't going to be the rest of your life. Right. You know, and especially if you've got somebody who's gone from say being sort of a competent professional and suddenly their whole day is, you know counting poopy diapers and you know worrying about breastfeeding and you know everything's kind of like off and you just feel kind of horrible and it's very hard sometimes to recognize that this is temporary mm -hmm. you know and it's like it starts kind of feeling like your whole life um, and so that can that can be also actually very challenging okay so feeling kind of weepy especially if it's lasting more than a day or two um, again like I said I don't think you should ignore that, you know, if it's just sort of transient, but just, you know, two weeks is kind of like, if you've got symptoms for like two weeks or longer, um, there's another symptom called anhedonia, you know, which is, you know, sort of a big long name of basically saying an inability to experience pleasure. Things are not fun anymore. Things that you used to like doing, you don't like to do anymore. You know, it's just this kind of disconnect from, you know, activities and, and, you know, really even people that you don't want to kind of be around, you know, and you just don't enjoy anymore. Mm -hmm. um, one of the ones that's actually kind of interesting is showing up in a bunch of studies. I've not seen this on any screening scales, but the studies are telling us this is important, is how many minutes it takes you to get to sleep. Okay, if it's longer than 25 minutes to get to sleep, uh, that means you're at increased risk for depression. Wow. Yeah. And it's I, that I, in, now, now I'm curious for myself, is that independent of being during postpartum or is it exclusive, you know, is it to the general population or something that you're seeing by studying specifically well, postpartum moms? This is actually specifically with postpartum is where okay. we've seen it. Although, honestly, I think it would probably apply to the general population as well, mm -hmm. you know, because, again, it, what it shows is kind of an inability to sort of down regulate and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, and so you can see that kind of same type of thing in post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, and anxiety disorders as well. But what's interesting is that about, I think it's been about five studies where we've seen that really consistently. 20 minutes is okay. 25 minutes seems to be, you know, 25 minutes and above seems to be high risk for depression. You know, so I, I just think that that's kind of an interesting one. And that's, that's one a lot of times I talk when I, you know, educate healthcare providers about this. I say, look, you know, one of the things you 
we need to be thinking about with you know this is sometimes there's cultural differences and stuff you you know like in a lot of cultures it's not okay to talk about depression you know and this is a question you can ask that's very non-intrusive you know how many you know and it's like i think it really gives you a good kind of sense and that's something for moms to look at too you know and i i have moms sometimes say well you know i have no idea how many minutes it takes well to be honest with you those are not the moms we're worried about you know because they're crawling into bed and they're conking out you know they're gone um the moms who you do worry about they're watching the clock they they pretty much can tell you exactly how many minutes it takes Mm -hmm. you know so we're really seeing that as as kind of an interesting you know, sort of one of those physiological kind of markers of depression. Uh, and I like it because, again, like I said, it can it can get at, you know, what's going on, but do it in a very kind of non-intrusive and kind of indirect way that I think is going to be, mothers are going to be more comfortable answering that question, yes. Yeah, I really like that because, so as a doula, I do postpartum uh, uh, meetings, you know, just yeah. to check up on them and review the birth. And we ask, how are you eating and how how mm-hmm. are you sleeping and how's the baby and trying to get deeper into how things are going. Um, and you do find that it's very hard to figure out if the mom's feeling depressed or not because you get that super mom trap come up and, exactly. the, and yeah. the defensive, no, everything's good, everything's yeah. good, you yeah. know. And then the house is all clean and you go, well, who, who cleaned the house? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So I really like this 20 minute question. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so for 25 that. minutes. And it's, yeah. And it's like I said, and again, like I said, I think that part of the problem too, is there's a lot of shame around this mm-hmm. issue. And it's like, you know, moms feel bad that they're not able to sort of be on top of everything, you know? And so that's, I think that that's also unfortunate, you know? So again, like I said, I think that that kind of keeps it hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I kind of suggest to practitioners a lot of times, especially if they've got an office, you know, just having stuff available and out, you know, that, you know, put, put up a poster in your office, you know, leave some brochures out um, and, and moms will pick them up, you know, and I think that that can also be kind of a non-threatening thing because they don't necessarily have to admit it, um, but they can actually look and say, hmm, God, that sounds like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that same vein, one of the things that I do on our prenatals is I have a, um, uh, the oh, and now it of course the word uh, it's gone out of my mind but the it doesn't diagnose but it's it, it's the questionnaire the oh, ultimate the, uh, the yes end. yeah yeah um to, and I leave it with them and I say this is this does not diagnose but it could signify that something's up so if after like two weeks after baby's born where baby blues are expected to be gone and all these things you find that. The things aren't feeling great you know take a look right. at this and it's right. a way to maybe step in that direction yeah and actually you know a, a questionnaire that i like a lot is it's a two item screen you know it's called the the patient health questionnaire two um and i actually i, I find that that's actually a very useful too it's it was developed to use in primary care um you know the problem with the edinburgh i mean the, everybody uses the edinburgh mm-hmm. partly because it's you know been used all over the world and it's free Right. You know, let's be honest. That's a a big reason. But, you know, especially for those of us in North America, you know, it's written in in kind of more British English. Mm -hmm. And so it expresses itself in a way that I think a lot of our moms don't. 
you know, so it can be, especially with populations that maybe have lower reading levels, uh, it can be, you know, it's not my favorite just for that reason, because it's, I think it's hard. You know, it's like if you ask an American mom, you know, things have been getting on top of me lately. You know, that's, that's a question that doesn't really, you know, make a lot of sense mm-hmm. for us. You know, that's a very British way of expressing things. So, you know, I, you know, I kind of lean more toward using the PHQ too. But I think, again, like I said, anything that raises the question is going to be good. Right. And and just brings it up and has them start to be a little more mindful about it and consider right. is, am exactly. I feeling yucky? And yeah. is this sticking around? Right. Yeah. So, so say a mom is, things are feeling yucky and things are sticking around. What can she do about it? Well, fortunately, she's got lots of great options. And that's, that's I think, the first thing that's really good news is depression is quite treatable. Um, and you don't necessarily have to use drugs. There's lots of different things. Um, you know, we're finding actually that exercise is a super effective treatment for even major depression. You know, there were, there were two different studies that they did at the Duke University Medical Center where they put exercise head-to-head with Zoloft, and they actually found exercise was as effective. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. You know, now it's a fair amount of exercise. You know, it was like, I think, three to five times a week at, you know, 45 to 60 minutes. You know, so that's not going to be for everybody. Right. You know, especially if you're depressed. A lot of times you thought that's the last thing you feel like doing, especially if you're not an exerciser normally. Right. You know, and especially might, if... Oh, if you're uh, like recovering from the C-section. C-section. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so that's one option. Um, omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, I would actually probably recommend that most moms take those, honestly. Um, and we've got good over-the-counter sources for them now. Um, a website I'd actually encourage you to look at is the U.S. Pharmacopeia website because they actually uh, verify brands and they look at them in terms of contaminants and safety. And so, like, you know, one of the brands that's on there is Nature Made, which is a good brand, and it's really inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, you know, I was so convinced. I was taking one of the ones I got from, you know, the naturopath, which is, you know, pharmaceutical grade. They were like $60 a bottle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they went down to like $13 a bottle because I thought, well, gee, why don't I just take these? Mm-hmm. It makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so I would actually definitely recommend that, you know, um, as, as, you know, and the thing that's nice is almost all of these you can combine um, the thing you don't want to combine is you don't want to take something like, say, St. John's wort and then also take an antidepressant. Okay. Um, but nice study up in Canada where they did a, um, a, a study where they uh, looked at uh, using St. John's wort for major depression and found as effective as Zoloft and uh, overall the patients liked it better. You know, so again, like if you don't want to go the whole pharmaceutical route, that's another that's another option. You know, it has fewer side effects and, you know, is less expensive often. Um, you know, so that's always a consideration. Um, you know, uh, we're finding, I said, cognitive therapy is super effective, especially now the, with the combined with mindfulness, we're finding amazing results on that. Um, interpersonal psychotherapy, which is another, it's kind of a, a spinoff of cognitive therapy in some ways, because, you know, it tends to be fairly short term, focuses on relationships, you know, and how mothers can get more support from their relationships. And, you know, like, especially again, like I said, oftentimes, you know, you get a mom who may be the first in her sort of peer group to have a baby. And so it's kind of like, okay, so now she's, she needs to get a new peer group. 
Um, and how does she go about doing that? And how has the relationships changed since she's had a baby? Um, so interpersonal psychotherapy, we're finding fantastic results with that. Uh, you know, there's a great do-it-yourself cognitive therapy book called Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy. Okay, it's a fantastic book. You know, um, they've actually found it, you know, in different studies as effective as medications. You know, they called it bibliotherapy. You know, that one group got the book and the other group got the pills. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but that, you know, that book, the problem with that book is it's, it's very thick. You know, it's an excellent book, but it's very thick. And, is and, it dense? Mm-hmm. Is it dense or just? Yeah, it's dense. Okay. You know, and it, like I said, I, I use it to teach out of because I think it's just so good. Um, but he's done another one. It's got a goofy name. It's called something like 10 Days to Self-Esteem. But what it actually is, is it's a stripped down version of feeling good. Um, because he worked, you know, the, the, he was based in Philadelphia for years, you know, at the University of Pennsylvania. And that's right, you know, in an inner city neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so their health clinic, they were trying to come up with something for patients, you know, working and coming from the, the, you know, the inner city neighborhood. And so it's a simpler version of it. So again, like I said, that can be another good resource for moms. You know, I, I, I would, you know, like I said, it's, it's called something like 10 days to self-esteem, but the author's name is David Burns, you know, so you can look on Amazon for that. Uh, so again, that's another kind of option. Um, you know, so again, we have just a tremendous number of different things. Uh, bright light therapy, uh, another, you know, very fantastic, um, you know, option that works very, very well. Uh, there's a big perinatal uh, depression trial going on. We know it's as, you know, when it's looked at in terms of seasonal depression, and of course up in Canada, you know, seasonal depression is going to be an issue, Yeah. you know, and so a light box can be a real godsend and they tend to actually work pretty quickly, you know, so you can actually kind of see how a combination of some of these things could really help, you know, um, I've actually, you know, spoken to quite a few hospitals over the years and sometimes I'll, you know, be in contact with them again and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, since you were here, we started a program where we've got the moms, you know, getting together, they go out and they take a walk out in the sunshine, they're taking omega-3s, you know, they're getting that nice social support and they said that it's really dropped their depression rates. Uh, you know, so again, like I said, I, th- I think there's just a lot of different ways you can combine all these modalities to be really effective and to be really helpful for moms. It sounds, yeah, and it sounds fantastic. I'm really, um, there were a couple here that I hadn't heard about so much, uh, especially the omega-3 fatty acids I wasn't so aware of. What would you say are some good natural sources for that as well as taking an over-the-counter? Uh, you mean for like something you'd buy to like the naturopath? No, or like in foods. Well, you can eat fish, but the problem with, with that, especially during pregnancy, is, you know, we don't know in terms of mercury contamination. Right. You know, that's very hard. You know, there's no way to really know, honestly. Um, the, the the studies that have compared, you know, different countries where there's a lot of fish versus not so much fish, um, it's about a pound to a pound and a half a week is how much they have to eat. Okay. And so again, like I said, I'm a little nervous about that, especially during pregnancy, but also during breastfeeding, just because the baby's, you know, developing brain is at a very vulnerable time, mm-hmm. you know, so I'd, I'd want to make sure that um, you're not getting that exposure to those, you know, the toxins that tend to be in fish. You know, the vegetable sources, unfortunately, are not um, sufficiently anti-inflammatory. That's what you're really going for is that anti-inflammatory effect. And they're not, you know, like you'd have to have something in the neighborhood of 10 grams of flax 
to even come close to what you need. <laughs> That's a lot you know, of roughage. <laughs> That's a lot of roughage. You know, it's like I've kind of joked before. It's like, you know, clothes aren't going to be a problem because you're never leaving the bathroom. You know, it's like, you know, but I mean, you know, now I've had other people say, well, I take that much. Okay, well, fine. If you can tolerate that much, that's, that's good. Um, but it doesn't, you know, that's the parent omega-3 fatty acid, the plant sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not, it's, you know, alpha-linolytic acid. And it's um, about 10% of that gets converted into the longer chain omega-3 fatty acids. And so that's, that's kind of part of the issue. Uh, I had a chapter written by a omega-3 researcher in Britain, um, and, you know, he was the one I was actually kind of talking about how much, you know, flax you'd have to have or, you know, plant source. Um, and so, again, like I said, I'm not sure how sustainable that is. Right. Uh, I generally speaking like to get nutrition from food mm-hmm. rather than pills. Um, but in, in terms of treating depression, you need something kind of targeted. You know, you're aiming for about 1,000 milligrams of EPA which is, you know, the long, one of the long chain omega threes. Uh, so that's actually the thing that seems to treat. And for that, I, honestly, I'd probably recommend supplements. Okay. So we'd better get it through the pill form. I, I think in this case, yes. You okay. know, for, for, you know, worrying about the contamination, but also making sure you get enough. Sure. To be able to get a proper dose. Yes. Makes sense. Makes sense. So is there a way to prevent or minimize postpartum depression. Oh yeah, there's lots of there's lots of ways. Again, like I said, especially for somebody who's who's maybe had episodes of depression, you know, I think one of the things that's very important is to make sure you have, you know, some social support in place. Um, you know, and even you know, just having somebody like in your life. You know, oftentimes for women, it's their partners, uh, but it could be a friend, uh, it could be you know, like a care provider that's just kind of keeping an eye on them. Because sometimes when you're kind of in the middle of it, you 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 don't see it. Mm-hmm. You know, you think, okay, well, this is just normal postpartum, and it isn't necessarily. Um, you know, so you know, thinking about kind of like talking to people, getting some support in place. Again, preventatively, I'd definitely go for the omega threes. You know, get those in place. You know, maybe start doing some exercise. Uh, you know, probably look into what kinds of social support are available, but also recognize things like that breastfeeding problems and birth experience can cause depression, you know, so making sure you have support in those areas as well, you know, uh, even just somebody to just talk to, but also sometimes just knowing, you know, I think really, you know, for, you know, forewarned is forearmed, Mm -hmm. you know, so the more that you know about it, oftentimes the women that I've talked to who have had prior episodes of depression, you know, because they're already thinking about it, they're much less likely to get it the next time, you know, or if they get it, it's a much milder dose and they, they deal with it quicker. You know, the, the thing that I think is the real tragedy, and I think the thing that, you know, really keeps spurring me on to keep going out and educating people about it is, you know, the, the needless years of suffering that take place. Yes. You know, where mothers go on and, you know, either they've got, you know, PTSD from their birth, or they've got depression or they've got both, God forbid, you know. And it just can drag on for years untreated. People think, oh, yeah, it'll just go away. Not necessarily. You know, when they looked longitudinally at different things, you know, it's like that there was one study I cited in our book where, you know, talking about how, you know, three years later, 50% of the mothers were still depressed. And you might say, oh, yeah, but 50% of them got better. Okay. Do you really want to chance that? You know, which group are you going to be in? You don't know. 
you know, and it's like, it just really saps the joy out of your life, you know, so it's just important, I think, you know, to recognize it and, uh, you know, definitely address it quickly and also recognize that you've got a lot of choices in terms of how you want to do that. You know, I think sometimes mothers are afraid, you know, to seek support for it because either they're going to be told to wean, which unfortunately still happens, um, you know, and, and or they're going to be told they have to be on medications, you know, well, no, not necessarily. You know, I think that medications can be one important tool, but they're only one important tool. There's a bunch of others. And the more things we know about uh, that we can share with moms, the more likely she is going to get, you know, treatment. Because, you know, I've had moms who've told me, you know, that they got a prescription. You know, this one woman was adamant she didn't want to be on these. And she took one pill and she got every single side effect. Oh, no. You know, there's this thing called, you know, we talk about the placebo effect. There's yeah. another there's another thing called the nocebo effect. Where you can actually make yourself sick. You know, if you feel coerced and you don't feel like, you know, you had a choice, you can make yourself sick. And that's what was happening to her. And so she then dumped the rest of the prescription down the toilet. Okay, so here's the problem with that. She's still depressed. Mm-hmm. And her care provider thinks he's treated the depression when he's done no such thing. You know, so I, I think it's important that, you know, we have you know, honest conversations with mothers and really kind of try to steer them toward, okay, so if this is not acceptable, what else would you be willing to try? Because I just would think we need to get get it into our head that untreated depression just isn't an option. You know, that's something we do need to address. Right. And it's so, it is important to tell them and let everybody know that they do have lots of options in a wide, broad spectrum, yes. not just the pills. Exactly. And, you know, the other thing, you know, that I think can be kind of a barrier is mothers are often afraid they're going to be told to wean, you know, and unfortunately, that still happens. You know, it doesn't seem to be as common as it used to be, but it still happens. You know, and it's like, I, you know, when I first started kind of in this field, you know, um, my friend at the La Leche League International headquarters um, was giving out my home telephone number every time somebody called and said they were depressed. No. You know, I was trying to figure out why I was getting all these calls. All this. <laughs> you were a hotline. She, yeah. Exactly. She told me about three months later, oh, yeah, I've been giving out your – and I was like, okay, well, that explains the calls. <laughs> but, um, you know, the story that so many of these moms said is they were diagnosed with depression and they were told they had to wean. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. You do not have to wean. You know, and it's like there's only one class of antidepressants that you can't take while you're breastfeeding, and they're very rarely used because they have really significant side effects. You know, so I don't think I've actually ever had a mom on them. Um, they were talking about them on an episode of Law and Order once, uh, but you know, these it's the monamine oxidase inhibitors or the MAOIs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the class of medications I've never, but you can't breastfeed on those. Everything else, you know, there's there's different ones we prefer. Um, but, you know, for the most part, everything is compatible with breastfeeding. So if a mom wants to, and, and you might not have an answer to this question, but where could she go to find a provider that is more, you know, that would know about the mind-based cognitive therapy or would be, won't just tell her to wean or, because it, it, it is a lot about that of what kind of support she right. ends up with. Well, again, like I said, I think, you know, first of all, being an educated consumer is going to help. There's a lot of great um, self-help books, you know, on things like cognitive therapy and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Um, So that would probably be a good thing to kind of look into. Um, New Harbinger Publications actually sells a number of different books, you know, for patients, you know, 
describing these different modalities. Um, if you're looking for a pr provider, you know, probably the best place to start is to call your state or your province psychological association uh, because they oftentimes will have, you know, lists of practitioners who, who practice various modalities. You know, and it's like I was just talking to one of my clinical psych friends recently and she said, well, you know, a lot of times, you know, yeah, we do cognitive therapy, but we tend to have a lot of different things we do. You know, or we tend to do interpersonal psychotherapy. Um, and, you know, again, like I said, a lot of these you can just kind of Google too because, you know, like interpersonal psychotherapy, they've got a, a website. Um, you know, it's like I think it's interpersonalpsychotherapy.org um, where you can, again, like look at, you know, what it is, you know, kind of see if it's for you. And, I, you know, the other thing I would say is don't be afraid to try a couple different providers. You know, part of the thing that helps you get better is what's known as that therapeutic alliance. You know, and if you don't really click with your provider, go find another one. You know, find somebody else, you know, who you might have better rapport with because part of the healing that takes place in therapy is just that rapport you have with your therapist and being able to just, you know, open your heart and talk without feeling like you're being judged. You know, and especially like, you know, if, you know, it, like, let's say you're doing more of kind of an, an attachment parenting kind of thing, you know, there's a, unfortunately still number, you know, of professionals, healthcare providers, just in general, you know, who tend to be fairly negative about that, you know, so, you know, ask around, you know, find out within, you know, if there's some, you know, friends of yours who are going to somebody, you know, find out who they're going to. Uh, but again, I, I think a good starting place for finding a psychotherapist is to call your state or province psychological association because again that i've done that you know when i've re developed referral lists for different groups i've worked with um and it's usually very helpful uh and uh, you know I, I a lot of times will get on the phone and actually call the providers and talk to them you know and kind of get a sense you know what kinds of things they do and you know do you think you're going to be a good match and you know depending on, you know, I know there's different healthcare systems within Canada and the U.S., mm -hmm. but, um, you know, depending on kind of like what's, you know, how do they get paid, you know, how much do they cost? These are just different things to kind of find out. Um, but yeah, I, I would start there, uh, but also just kind of educate yourself ahead of time. So you have an idea of what kind of things are going to be helpful for you. Right. Do it like just when you're shopping for a pediatrician shop exactly. for this, just in case you need it. So because it's, it'll be much harder to try to test out different providers if you're in the middle of it. Right, right. And again, like I said, you know, even if you're in the middle of it, you know, just recognize that as a patient, you have certain rights. Uh, you know, and it's like I said, if you don't feel like you're being listened to or respected, you know, it's definitely you're within your right to get up and go and go see somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you don't have to give out your personal phone number, but if people yeah. want to contact you <laughs> or learn more about what you do, how can they get in touch? Well, um, any of my websites um, will actually, you know, there's a there's a thing to contact me. So Uppity Science Chick, we've already talked about, um, but I also have one under my name, KathleenKendallTackett.com uh, and also BreastfeedingMadeSimple.com. You know, so all of those have, have, you know, contact me and there's a link to my email address. So that's a, that's a great way. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Um, so I've got actually two pages. Um, honestly, if you're going to get a message to me, probably the best is to use the Kathy Kendall Tackett Facebook page because that one comes to my phone. So it's like, you know, that pops up right away. Um, sometimes I don't see the ones on the Kathleen Kendall Tackett, but either of those ways, either of those pages are uh, a way to get a hold of me as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. And it was lovely talking to you. It was great talking to you too.
Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter. Even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll talk to another maternity pro here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.